0: Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on today's episode is Saskatchewan native and president of the Saskatoon District and Baseball Umpire Association, Matt Shule. Topics we look to cover are religion and baseball, runners who abandon the base path, and Matt's experience with blow-up companions. So, sit back, relax, get ready, because it's coming. Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Before we get going, we would like to thank everybody who has commented, shared, liked, and submitted feedback. Without you, there would be no me. And without me, well, your life would go unfulfilled. Get it? Unfulfilled? Ha ha ha, I know I'm really funny. Now, before we get going this week, I want to give you a heads up. You might notice a little difference in the way that the physical layout of the podcast might be, not necessarily the audio aspect, but on the app or online. You see, now I'm paying to upload this thing so that people can listen to old episodes and there's a cloud to put this stuff up. You might see some color changes. I guess there's more features, but guess what? It's still the same old me, so you don't have to worry. My intentions are to keep it as it is, keep it looking the same, because I know a lot of umpires don't like change. And I know some of you are still adjusting from P4 to deep P3 with a runner on first base after 16 years, and that's okay. So I will do my best to keep it standard and simple. So don't look for too many changes. Now, the purpose of this pod is to celebrate milestones and achievements and share stories of umpires from right across the country. And with this past week being Canada Day, I want to wish everybody a very happy Canada Day, wherever you are, and hope that you got to celebrate it in whatever way you chose. To honor this great country that we live in, I've decided that this week on the podcast, I am going to sing, Oh Canada. So here I go. Oh Canada. No, no, no. I'm just joking. Even though I'm patriotic, I think that would be the most unpatriotic thing that I could do to subject you to my voice. And I worry after hearing me sing, Oh Canada, you might want to move to another country like, say, Alberta, and we wouldn't want that now, would we? We have a fantastic episode lined up for you this week, but before we get to it, I just want to give you a taste of what you may have heard or are missing if you haven't listened to episode five with Trevor Drury. And I had a crew with uh, Chad Wagner, Larry Schrader, Trevor Stoichel and this young punk named Stu. And so Larry comes up in the shower wearing this. Royal purple shower curtain. I uh, struck out on the pitch, called strike three. I wanted a chance to be able to hit something hard up the middle. At that moment, Dave him gets out of his chair. All he heard from me was, that must be a strike in a boy. Eh? That was the year of the big blackout they had in Eastern Canada. Cuba dugout, out. And I yelled, batter out. And immediately, five people from the bench started running at me. I put up a soft sign. and I said, one guy. Manager, please. Or for board. Anybody ever mess with your gear? Do we really want to go there right now? No, 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 no. Trevor, we don't want to go there right now. Sorry. We want to hear this episode. But if you want to catch that episode, let me fill you in. Haha, ha, get it? Another fill drop on where you can listen to it. The available avenues are, of course, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and of course, Spotify. Now, at Leading Edge Headquarters, we've launched a new partnership with Spotify. And when I mean partnership, well, we've basically just created a playlist on it and made it public so that you can go on to Spotify and listen to it. Now, to do this, I want you to go in, Spotify, look up Leading Edge Umpire Stories. You'll find the playlist. Now, this playlist is very unique. You see, we've asked our guests that have come on previous episodes if there was a song that the fans were getting into and the place was rocking, what song would you hold the game up for? Or better yet, what song would you consider your theme song? Now, I'll start with mine. I think I would choose Reel and Roll by Rollins Cross. Now, I was originally born in New Brunswick and raised there for many years, and I'm a Maritimer at heart. And Rollins Cross is a fantastic Maritimer band out of Nova Scotia. So, if you want to hear Reel and Roll, Or the songs that our former guests have decided that would be worthy of stopping the game so the fans could continue it, head on over to Spotify to take a listen on what your partners in blue deem time-worthy songs. But please, don't mind Trevor Drury's pretty fly-for-a-white-guy choice. He's still stuck in 1998. Okay, enough of this intro. Let's get this show on the road. As part of the Leading Edge Umpire Entertainment, we are proud to introduce to you Baseball Canada Level 4 Umpire, President of the Saskatoon and District Baseball Umpire Association, and a guy who still believes in the tooth fairy, Matt Shule. Matt, welcome to The Leading Edge. Thanks for having me, Phil. Not a problem, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. It's appreciative you've given us the time. So we're not going to waste any time, and we're going to get right to it. Matt, what we like to do around here at The Leading Edge is we like to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your baseball resume. Do you have any playing experience? Have you ever played baseball before?
1: Yeah, uh, that's actually how I started out. Um, Funny story, though, when I was five years old, uh, I didn't play baseball at the time, and my brother, who was eight, uh, his team, they're they're short a couple of players. So next thing you know, the coach is looking in the stands, and here I am, this little five year old running around, not knowing even what baseball is really. And he points at me and he says, "You, you come and grab a bat and start hitting." And I ended up playing that game and a couple other games with my brother, and that's kind of how it all started—was just being a fan
0: and happening to get tapped on by a coach who I didn't even know. Well, isn't that just a made-for-a-hallmark-type movie playing in your first game with your brother? Though, tell us, did you get a hit in that game. My first at-bat ever
1: was a walk, which is better than probably 99% of my
0: other bats. Well, judging by the question deflection, I'm going to say it's safe to assume that you did not get a hit in that game. But hey, on-base percentage, not going to brag too much in the show, but I was known to lead the league in the HBPs, okay? (laughs) Not scared to stick the elbow out there. If it meant me getting a first base, I took it. You got to get on, right? 100%. You can't score if you're not on, right? Right. Okay, we know you played baseball at the age of five with your brother, but any more experience?
1: Yeah, so I I continued on with baseball. Um, I I guess I wouldn't say I was an elite player by any means, but uh, I was lucky enough to play with a few uh, pretty good teams and got to be a part of four Western championships and got to go to a national in uh, the juniors. Uh, and that was at Trois-Rivières, Quebec, which was a great experience.
0: Now, you say that you're not very good. Johnny Damon wasn't very good either, and he got himself a World Series championship and a book written. So life's good for that dude.
1: Yeah, you, you know, you look at my stats at Nationals, it was 333, but I only had six at-bats. And there's a reason why the coach only gave me six at-bats.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Not your bird tab. Oh, I want to know how, what your batting average was. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard to believe when you you umpire some of my games once in a while. You're such a pine rider. Okay, now this is an umpire podcast, so let's get into that. Fill us in. What's your umpiring resume? Looking into the things that I've been able
1: to be a part of. Um, summer games was my, vers- my first uh, big shot, I guess, at some decent ball, you know, doing some 15U and stuff like that. But as Just- I got older, I was lucky enough to be a part of some Western championships that were held here in Saskatchewan. And then uh, I think 23 years old, I got my first national and that was in Altona, Manitoba. And since then I've done a total of four nationals and tons of great experiences, tons of great people I've met. And uh, I would definitely recommend to any umpire to, to try and pursue and put their goals out there and, you know, reach, reach high because there's tons of opportunities and allows you to travel
0: all throughout Canada and for many people you've listened on this podcast throughout the states and the world even right you're such a motivational speaker Matt Jewel. just for clarification <laughs> Matt you said summer games can you elaborate on that please
1: yeah so summer games it's, it's pretty cool it's uh, it usually happens I believe every four years if I'm correct they hosted it in Lloyd Minister quite a bit lately because they have amazing facilities out there and they're able to I guess accommodate all the different teams and sports and people that come in from all throughout Western Canada. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's almost like a, a miniature Canada games. If you want to, you know, kind of compare it that way, because there's so many athletes and these are the, t- the athletes and officials that are, often going on to the national and international stage later on in their lives so it's a pretty cool opportunity to be a part of and for any young official i i would definitely strive to to be a part of that because it's a great experience
0: yeah the saskatchewan summer and winter games put on by the saskatchewan sports council does do a fantastic job of getting young athletes to the next level and really showcasing them off when they're at that level and i do agree i've had the opportunity to be part as an organizer when the winter games were hosted in battleford here a couple years ago it's just a phenomenal event and you get to see these young athletes and young now when i say young i mean novice officials who are just really start starting to hone their craft and looking to get to that next level so i do agree with everything you're saying it is a fantastic opportunity if you don't if you get a chance to do it okay so you've done a couple provincial championships and western championships Let's talk about what it was like growing up. Where did you start umpiring?
1: Kind of interesting, actually. So kind of like, you know, becoming a player. Um, I was 12 years old and my buddy who I met in grade one, actually, who I know you, Phil, and many other people like to, to make some jokes about us. But
0: This is a post-show edit. I think it's only fair that I defend myself. I have never made fun of anybody in my life. Back to the show.
1: Grade one buddy of mine when we were 12 years old, he phones me one day and says, hey, you know what? Uh, my dad was looking on a website.
0: You were in grade one when you were 12 years old. No. (laughs) Yeah. For the seventh time. Let me correct myself. Maybe.
1: (laughs) No, we were 12 years old. I met him in grade one, right?
0: Okay. Just making sure you didn't do grade one for four years before you decided to move on.
1: No, no. Here in Saskatchewan, we like to push people through. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, so I was 12 years old. My buddy gives me a call and he says, Hey, my dad, you know, was looking online and, Uh, we found out that umpires can start at the age of 12 and i said what what was that really mean why like what are you trying to say right and he goes on and says well would you want to do it? like you you can actually get paid for it and that was kind of the wow factor as a 12 year old you're thinking wait a second you go and be a part of a sport and you get paid like it just at that age it didn't really register in my mind it was kind of like this hocus pocus fairy you know land of of some sorts so we ended up joining, and uh, in our very first clinic, it was interesting because the the clinicians of that clinic were big names. And here's a 12 year old; we had no clue who these people were. We're just thinking, "Oh, they're old farts, right?" But the names that were at that clinic, you know, Corey Davis, Paul Coviella, Lou Slotsby, like big names who have made huge impacts of uh, on baseball, and, and not just Saskatchewan but Western Canada. Um, that was a that was just how we started out, and you know. A couple other buddies joined and uh, yeah, it was honestly just a way to bond and make some money and have fun.
0: It is. And you mentioned those guys are big names, but the nice thing about them is they have big names and big hearts, but they're really down to earth people. And that's, what's really nice about being part of the umpire community here in Canada. I really believe that Big country, but small community. Totally. So your buddy calls you up. You decide you're going to get into it. You've been umpiring since you were 12 years old, I take it. Didn't take any time off? (laughs) Funny you ask that. There was uh, an incident last year, but other than that, I did umpire right from
1: 12 years old to the age of 29 right now, what I am.
0: My math's not good. They are starting to teach that new math in school, so I can't figure it out, but I'm thinking 15 (laughs) years. Yeah, something like that.
1: (laughs) It all blurs together when you... When you umpire this long, I find
0: it. Yeah, uh, it does, right? Sometimes the years blend in, and sometimes they stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Now, a guy like you, been in it fifteen years. What's some of the nice things that have happened to you along the way? I think just
1: the biggest thing about uh, the umpiring is you you make some amazing friendships. I I look at, you know, if I were to write an a list of all the guys here uh, that I've met throughout the years and who I continue to meet up with and, you know, go for pops and things like that. Like Aaron Roberts, uh, yourself, Phil, Travis Worms, Scott Mills, Scott Moss, the Riley Chainer, even. And the cool thing is it's, it's all different age groups. You're from different places, different backgrounds. And through baseball, you're able to find common ground and, uh, to, to form these real strong relationships. And it doesn't matter necessarily what town you reside in. At the end of the day, you're you're more than willing to phone up the next person and say,
0: hey, do you want to go out for lunch, right? I couldn't agree more. I know what happens to me regularly. I could be traveling somewhere along the province here or even along the country and be like, hey, I'm in town. You want to meet up? So you're 100% right. Now, you mentioned a couple of guys there. Scott Mostaway, Travis Worms. A little history for our listeners here in Saskatchewan. Those three guys really came up through the system together. There has been some competition, you could say, in Saskatoon for a few years. It's something Trevor Drury alluded to in the last episode where he and Colin Spence were pushing each other. Matt, would you be willing to share with us what it's like to have a competitive competition with other umpires?
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, as your relationship gets stronger and you're becoming more familiar with each other on and off the diamond, you're able to... Just be more blunt with each other. I mean, if I'm having a a terrible game, Travis will let me know. If Scott's out of position and we need to have a discussion about it, we'll we'll talk about it right away. And going back to, you know, the ability to have road trips with each other, say Travis and Scott and I, you know, going together, we're, we're able to actually have full our discussions on what things we want to work on what was not going so well but in terms of the competition part let's face it travis scott and myself we all want to perform at the best of our abilities we all want that national ticket and we're going to help each other get there and push each other in a positive direction but at the same time i think it would be lying to each other to say you know what i want to be that person instead of you at the same time and there's that mutual respect that says let the person who performs and earns it, let them go and be happy for each other. And I think that's what we've we've done so far is, you know, when Travis puts in the work and he deserves to go, yeah, let's pat him on the back and let's let's help him continue to get further. And same thing with Scott myself. And uh, we have a lot of other guys who are coming up like Riley and things like that. You, you want to push them further, but also at the end of the day, yeah, there's a part of you that wants to
0: be better. Right. And that's the nice thing about having that connectedness with our colleagues is giving them that feedback in the moment. If people aren't performing to their expectations or to the level that they can perform at, we shoot them the message, hey, pick it up. And I know in the last episode, not to talk about that one too much because you're here to listen to this one, Trevor alluded to that when supervisors have to give the difficult message. But I think the difference is, and I'll ask your opinion on this, when we know each other, it's not necessarily a difficult message. It's the message that each other needs to hear. Totally. Yeah, so that we're getting to the next level and or it's not even about getting to the next level. It's about performing at the level that that's expected of you or that people are used to seeing you at.
1: I agree, because when you get that uh, that feedback that might be a little harsh, if you're on the outside of the conversation, you know that from that person, they're coming from a good place. They want you to be better because they know you can be better.
0: I know for years I've been telling the umpires in Saskatoon to work on that low outside pitch and I tell you they still can't get it down but that's yeah we don't teach that here (laughs) it's like when you get to Saskatoon the plate only has eight of those nine boxes on the pitch track (laughs) (laughs) yeah so when it comes to competition and coming up with other people based on your experiences what would you recommend to a new umpire getting into the game in regards to developing a healthy competition with other people
1: Uh, i would give two pieces of advice the first find a good solid group that you can have a relationship with that makes baseball fun because ultimately if you're not going to enjoy it you're not going to do it you're not going to want to be there you're not going to want to learn so on uh the second piece of advice i'd give is find someone who's better than you and ask questions you know you you gotta want to surround yourself by people who are better than yourself in a skill set. And then hopefully, you know, you can have those
0: conversations so they can get you to a point where you're able to be successful in those ways. Now, Matt, I couldn't agree more. I think that competition is healthy amongst umpires. It makes us become the best umpire that we can be. I know growing up, I had my best friend, Jeremy Nash, we pushed each other to be the best umpires we could be. Now we made a lot of mistakes along the way learning Him more than me, of course, but that's a story for another day, and he might disagree. But anyways, we really did push each other to get that next assignment, and that helped shape me as an umpire to be the strongest umpire that I can be. Okay, let's get back to umpiring in Saskatchewan. Matt, what's your favorite park to work in? Right now, I think the place to be is honestly Nutana Diamonds
1: in Saskatoon. Why is that? Well, if you've been there in the last year and a half, you'll notice that they have installed new turf on two diamonds. They put lights up. They have a new clubhouse for umpires and they continue to want to build a couple more things to try and make it like the place to be for a national. They're... Saskatoon it seems like is really striving to have every single level ball be able to host a national competition. And I think Nutana, based on how things are looking, I think they've earned the right to to put their bid in and be
0: considered for it. It's interesting that you say they've put lights up. If you have lights at a ballpark here in Saskatchewan, you're a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're uh, you've made the big time, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of baseball fields in Saskatchewan and we love baseball, but with the long summer days, there's not a need for lights. So a lot of communities don't have them. <laughs> now, Matt, you work most of your baseball in Saskatoon, right?
1: Yeah, I would say the majority of it is in Saskatoon. Yeah.
0: Do You work any leagues
1: outside of Saskatoon? Uh, I, I pretty much on part or am a part in some way, whether it's mentoring or officiating, Uh, Everything from 11U all the way up to WCBL, which is the the Western League that uh, kind of brings up a few college players.
0: We've talked about the WCBL multiple times here on The Leading Edge, and you mentioned that you've been working it since the age of 16. Yeah, that's correct. I I had one game when I was 16. (laughs) The old one and done, just like Battleford and Saskatchewan native Andrew Albers when he played with the Blue Jays back in 2015. Now, Andrew played multiple years in the majors, but his dream team was always to play with the Blue Jays. He got one crack at it, got called up and sent down the next day, but he got to live his dream. And that's what matters.
1: Yeah, that's all they let me have. (laughs) Well, No, truth be told, it was like, uh, no offense to the Saskatoon Yellow Jackets organization, but they they weren't really a winning team at the time. And so getting a 16-year-old to do a a game at the end of the year, that doesn't really mean much. They they didn't really see much of a problem there.
0: Makes sense. Most of your career has been filled with sympathy games anyways, eh? (laughs) Looks like he has no comment. But anyways... Now being around the league that long, do you have any funny stories or something you'd like to share with us?
1: Uh within that league, there's definitely some that stand out. You know, ejections where managers try to hide around the corner of left field fence to to give signals to their bench and, you know, still make the shots. So there's definitely some paperwork that follows that stuff. But there's definitely one that stands out. This was I think I was 17 years at the time. So my second year, pretty much my first year working the league. And I'll just say it was the manager from Weyburn. I won't say his name, but he comes up to me. There's a swipe play at third base, and I was the umpire inside the diamond. And here I, I cut into the working area. I get a great view, and I, I call the guy safe because I, I saw the tag, but he completely fanned on him, right? Didn't even touch him. So out comes the manager for Weyburn, who's the defensive team's coach, and he comes out and I let him walk his way. He's taking his sweet, dear time, and he walks right past me. Right. I I looked at him and I said, Hey, how can I help you? And he walks right past me, didn't even acknowledge me. And (laughs) he goes to his third baseman and he looks at him and says, Hey son, did you, uh, did you tag? And he says, yeah, coach, I tagged him on the shoulder. And so he comes right back at me and he says, this is the most Christian boy I know. And you're telling me he's lying to my face (laughs) right there. I knew, you know, this is a whole different ball game, this level of ball. And I don't think religion and baseball come in, you know together too many times but he he definitely found a way to sneak it in and caught me off guard a
0: little bit but you know walked it back to his bench and left it at that now it depends on who you ask because a lot of people will say that baseball is religion and an umpire by the name of Ashton Liskey has a great story about that now I'm not going to share it you'll have to tune in another day to hear that one but just a heads up <laughs> yeah and they say multiple religions are filled with lies anyways. I don't want to get into the religious debate, but...
1: It... Yeah, that's why I left out some of the, the story there. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: leaving out some of the story, but we're supposed to cover topics on both sides of the plate here. It's a, it's... <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a religious channel, though. I don't know if that's the direction you want. <laughs> on Sirius XM Radio Live with religion, Philip speaking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving out of Saskatchewan, you've mentioned that you have some national experiences... Where have you worked some national championships and what were the divisions? My first national championship would
1: be in 2014. That was for Pee Wee Western in Altona, Manitoba. Then I, from there in 2015, moved on to Vaughn where I did the 15U. And then I got the chance in 2016 to do Canada Cup in Fort Mac, which I'll always remember that one just because I was right after the fires in Alberta. And then in 2018, I got another chance to go to an 18U and that was back at Fort Mac, which was also a, a great opportunity to see how the community had grown since then
0: okay let's back the big truck up 2014 you tell me you're in altona manitoba yes sir altona manitoba according to wikipedia population of seven three have been missing for the past 12 years what was it like going to your first national championship in altona manitoba <laughs>
1: well if uh with a fan base that big it, it's intimidating <laughs> um, no, it was, it was great. I, I had some awesome supervisors first, and I think that that's always a plus. You know, I had Steve Butang, Scott Mills, and he's from Saskatoon, so definitely helped with the, some of the nerves of traveling and things like that. And then Rob Steven as well, or Stevenson. But in terms of that tournament, it was it was interesting. It had a small-town feel. Lots of people, of course, uh, there from Western Canada, but uh, it was a great experience because I had never learned so much from people all across western canada um and so quickly it was it was something that i went there and i craved to go back to more nationals because of that learning experience
0: now i must say shul i never took you as a quick learner considering that you did grade one what four times (laughs) yeah okay so you had a good tournament there you learned a lot and then you said you moved on to vaughan yeah uh 2015
1: i went to vaughan um and that was an interesting tournament as well big kind of city feel going from Altona all the way to, you know, just outside of Toronto. Uh, definitely a big difference in terms of, you know, diamonds, the amenities, um, I guess almost the, the media, it seemed like, compared to Altona. It was, it was covered very differently, and it was a, a very cool tournament to be a part of.
0: So you have a different vibe definitely at the 15U. It's starting to get into that next level. Kids are mature or maturing more than they were at the 13U. Do you remember who was on your crew that year? Yeah, uh, Brian Cummings, known as the Bull, and
1: uh, Bruce Christensen. Where are they from? Bruce, I believe he's from Alberta. And
0: Brian, is he? he's a Maritimer almost, isn't he? I think you know him, Phil. First off, Bull is a full-fledged Maritimer. He's not an almost Maritimer. Right out of New Brunswick. And second... Before you can respond, I was born and raised in the Maritimes, and I'm proud of it. And for all the Westerners, it's not all the same province out there. There are four different provinces in Atlantic Canada and three of them in the Maritimes. So let's move on before you embarrass yourself anymore, Matt, with these almost Maritimers. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the one nice thing about working national championships is you get to work with people from right across the country, even if they're almost Maritimers. Now, moving on, Matt, do you have any memorable experiences from that championship? There's definitely one that stands out, uh, and it was
1: actually during a game. Brian's working the plate, and Bruce is on, I believe he was on third base, and I'm on first base. And so, about third inning, you know, supervisor at this time, I think, had to go to the diamond beside because there was a a potential protest of some kind. Brian kind of calls me down to the plate between first and home, and he says, "Man, i I got to like take a leak. I really have to go. And I said, dude, it's only the bottom of the second. You're going into the third here. And he says, I I don't think I can hold it. And so he says, "Uh, you guys got to make a plan because I have to go. And I told him, okay, you know what? I'll distract this coach. I talked to Bruce the the next half inning. And I said, at the end of the third, you got to go distract this coach. I got to go to this side. We're we're just going to shoot the, well, we're just going to have conversations with them and try and get them going. Right. So it's the bottom of the third. Brian ends up uh, giving us a a little wave and points to the outhouse. That's about, I would say, 50 meters behind the diamond. And he just does a a nice casual jog off the diamond. Doesn't talk to anyone. Just jogs right off the diamond, straight to the outhouse. And to be honest, I don't know if many people even noticed him leave. Um, But meanwhile, our supervisor happened to be at the other diamond. So we're thinking, oh, you know what? Brian's going to get out of this. No one's even going to know. he so had to go to the washroom and a national and Bruce and I are both talking to the coaches and they're now starting to wonder like, Oh, where, where the plate on going?" go? And so just as we're about to kind of tell them where he is, we see Brian running out of the, the outhouse doing up his belt buckle. And meanwhile, the corner of our eye, we see our supervisor who was, I believe, I believe that game was Dave and Margaret Margaret, if I pronounced that right, but he comes to the diamond and, Just before he walks into the dugout, he passes David, and David just kind of gives this, like, what the hell? You know, does the double take, and we're laughing our asses off here. And get off the diamond at the end of the game, David kind of goes through our our debrief, and he says, you know what, accomplished for getting into the washroom and almost getting by me (laughs) at a national championship. (laughs) That doesn't happen too often, but I I feel like that's uh, something that, A lot of umpires take for granted is that bathroom break, especially in long,
0: long games. Got to prepare. Oh, no question. It's a skill that's acquired. And obviously, Brian didn't have that skill acquired by then. (laughs) And the one thing, too, is you rode the pine for all those years as a player. If you get into umpiring, you definitely get the chance to play every pitch. No question. (laughs) Now, Matt, you talked about one of your more memorable experiences at a national championship in Fort McMurray. Why was Fort McMurray so special?
1: Yeah, so in in 2016, I think a lot of us know um, that was the year that there was a lot of forest fires in Northern Alberta. And it was at the point where people are calling it the New York fire because it was the same size pretty much as that. So uh, it ripped right through, I would say, two-thirds of Fort McMurray. And you know, me back in Saskatoon, a couple months before Canada Cup is approaching, I'm thinking, you know what? It doesn't seem like this is going to be my year or maybe it's going to move maybe it's going to be cancelled and you know what looking back at it a little bit of a selfish attitude because i was excited i wanted to go but you know where i look from it to today is i was not the person that had my house my house burned down you know i i was not the person that was really impacted by it but Moving forward on that story, it actually did get played. And it was a very interesting experience right from getting off of that plane because our our driver, his name is Adam Campbell. He coaches their junior high school team, actually. Um, he was our our chaperone. And so he's driving us around and he was nice enough to, on our second day, I believe it was, he showed us where his house used to be. Um, it was burnt down in a fire. He showed us where these malls used to be. He showed us where the fires were jumping across. He showed us um the evacuation routes. He he went into quite a bit of detail to the point where, you know, it, it got a little
0: emotional there. It was quiet in that van. Now, Matt, I don't want you to get too emotional on us right now, but I have a little tidbit for our listeners. Remember Brian or almost maritime or earlier and Adam? Well, they actually come from the same community in New Brunswick. And Brian if memory serves me correctly, actually works in Adam's father's former role with the police department. Brian Cummings? Brian Cummings and Adam Campbell come from the same community. Oh, no way. And proud to say it, I come from that same community of Machine New Brunswick, too, originally. So it's amazing what baseball does and how it brings us all together and connects us so that's just an interesting thing i wanted to throw it there since you name dropped adam campbell who's not an umpire but has a relationship with bull whether you knew it or not that's interesting never knew that
1: but yeah kind of fast forwarding to the the opening ceremonies of that event it was something i will never forget because the game before i took a moment when i got off the diamond and at the edge of the diamond you if you're facing it it looks like paradise there's trees There's a facility, it's brand new, it looks like. You do a 180 and there is an entire valley from one end right to the other, completely burnt down. And it goes almost right to your feet where right field is. So it shows you how close that fire was to pretty much burning the entire city down, which is, I think, 65,000 people live there approximately. So, But yeah, going back to that opening ceremonies, the stands at that main ballpark, it says that it holds about... 1,700 people if it's full. It felt like no less than 4,000 people, probably. You have the teams on the field, you have every seat full, you have umpires, you have firefighters, paramedics. I'm pretty sure there would even be some doctors, there's police officers, military personnel. Everyone in that community seemed to come together in that one moment to say, you know, a big hurrah of this fire tore up our entire community, yet we were able to host one of the, I guess, prestigious tournaments in Canada for baseball and celebrate together. It was a pretty emotional moment. You know, you get, you get those jitters, right, in your hands when you're nervous and things like that. And it, it wasn't nerves that was causing me to have that jitter. It was just the sheer emotion that you felt in that moment. And they they did some cool stuff. They had fireworks that night. They had a flyover of uh, of a few different planes. I can't remember which ones they were, but they definitely tried to make every, every little bit of that, uh, that moment count.
0: It is really nice to hear how the communities do rally around these championships. You previously mentioned how Altona was different from Windsor and then different again when you get to Fort McMurray. Every community brings its own little vibe and they rally around the championships to make it the best they can. So, really, without these communities and volunteers who put a lot of work into these championships, We wouldn't get to do what we enjoy doing or have the stories to share. So thank you to all the communities and volunteers who put these championships on. Now, from an umpire perspective in that tournament, do you have any special plays or memories that come to mind?
1: Uh, Two that stand out. One that I I can definitely learn from and one that I I was a part of that we, I can proudly say we nailed it. I'll start with the one that we got right.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, always lead with the best story first, right?
1: Yeah, so runner on first, uh, there was one out, there was a line drive to center field, and I believe the play was that the ball dropped just before the center fielder, he threw it to second, and he got the second out. Now, meanwhile, the batter runner touched his first base and thought that that was clearly the third out, and he starts walking towards his dugout and actually has pretty much half of his body inside the dugout just standing there probably about a good three, four or five seconds go by. And then he books it back, tries to run to first base and Matt Payne, who's on first base. He kind of just has this awkward look like what the hell just happened? Like where, where did this guy come from? Meanwhile, the coach on the left side dugout, I'm doing the plate. He starts running out and, you know, saying, Hey, 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 like just a bunch of words, like yelling at us. Right. And all I did was say, you know, you know what, we'll make it right. And I, I, just kind of gave him the hand to say, stop, you know what, we we know something's up here, we're going to get it right. So we met together, we went over the ruling, we talked about, um, you know, with the placement of the runner, how many outs, all that stuff. And right away we went to damage control because we knew this manager came out, he was clearly pissed off. And so now when we correct this call and say this batter runner's out for abandoning the base path, uh, we can be sure as hell to be prepared that now the other manager is going to come out, right? Yeah, no question. Matt Payne right away says, okay, you know what? I'm the guy on first. I'll make the call. And so we all agreed. And I said, okay, Matt, be prepared. That first base dugout umpire, or sorry, first base manager is going to come out to you. And I'll handle the manager on the other side. And Miles who he was, well, he's in P4 at the time. So he was going to just be damage control inside the diamond and go wherever help was needed it took a little bit of time and that was the the only feedback really we got from that situation was if you can speed up the call and make it right speed it up otherwise you guys got it right it was just kind of
0: like a, a hurrah in the moment and now let's move forward so your crew you're saying is yourself matt Payne, yes matt yes and he's works inter- some international ball yeah there's there's a guy that has international experience and you say miles Brido? Yes, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Miles Brito. Another tidbit: he comes from the same community as Bull and Adam and myself. Small world, man. That's, um, yeah, no kidding. So you correct um, the situation? The coach is losing his mind. What are you thinking?
1: Uh, you know what? There was pride in the situation. It, it didn't really matter that you know someone's going to be upset because at the end of the day, we got it right. That's our job. Yeah. So the second, the second situation, um, definitely a a kick in the butt moment though at that tournament was just a, a very basic play. You know, I was in P4, runner on second, and it was a simple steal to third base. For whatever reason, I, I took an angle. I say I cheated my distance and I screwed myself on the angle. I, instead of stepping very quickly into the working area and trying to get that angle, uh, at a far distance, I try to cut distance instead. And it's funny cause that's the, the kind of stuff that you learn at a level one clinic is, angle is always more important than the distance, but I, I guess it didn't hurt the situation. It didn't hurt, uh, you know, the game's outcome in any way, but it was just one of those moments that it kick you kick yourself in the butt and you realize why did that even happen? Um, I think you said with your crew is, was it hit the red button or whatever? Yeah. Push hit the, the red button. And there you go. So it was just one of those moments where you, you admit your,
0: your fault and you, you got to push on cause you got six more innings in the game. Right. Right. And that's one thing you just got to bite the bullet and move on. Since the topic of moving on has come up, let's keep this show rolling. So, Matt, you said that you go back to your next championship. Is it the 18U in Fort Mac? Yeah, I, I spent a, a second week out there at the 18Us. So what was it like to get the call to go back to Fort Mac? A different championship at the same place.
1: It was uh, it was mixed feelings. First of all, like I, I love the community. It's got some pretty cool things. The diamonds and facilities are just amazing. Like Shell Place is beautiful. West, yeah. Western Canada, it doesn't really get much better than that. No. So in regards to that, I was excited. There was, I'll admit there's a little bit of that. Oh, you know, Fort Mac again. I, I kind of want to explore the world a little bit, right? Like right. I'm a, I'm a bird. Let me fly. So yeah, there's a little bit of disappointment, but I have to admit every, every national championship is a gift doesn't matter where you go it's it truly is a gift because you you get new experiences you get new relationships and you learn new things every single time so I was actually able to be a little bit of more of a I guess a chauffeur or a tour guide because of my experience there for some of the the guys from out in the east Um, no it was it was a great great second trip and I have no regrets and it was it was awesome
0: now tell me what was the highlight of that
1: championship (laughs) uh lots of i guess socializing would be a big part of it pranks would be one thing that stands out because we had a group of fun guys they they, they prioritize fun
0: so non-malicious pranks i assume
1: yeah but uh definitely a little risky what do you mean uh so well we had a we have one umpire who was there his name's chet massey and he comes in there and he's he's known as the funny guy right away from day one i thought to myself with our crew like you know what screw that chet's not going to be the funny guy this time around we're, we're going to be that crew that does something so day goes by and we have a game on you know day two and in between about an eight hour break uh we're getting some lunch and i believe his name is sean speck he's from fort mac he was our uh chauffeur or our driver for the week and he actually is an umpire out there too anyways he he was driving us around and You know, we were asking him about the the good, the bad, the ugly of the city, and uh, he was showing us some interesting things. Uh, And then for some reason, we got on the topic of uh, Netsy. And for those who don't know who Netsy is, that's Chris Chris Norris out of, I want to say he's
0: out east. Chris Norton Um, from Ontario. Chris Norton. Yes, yes. Did you want me to say that again? No, you don't. You can just keep going. (laughs) Okay.
1: So, Chris Norton, he's one of our supervisors, and he has a special robe. I don't know exactly how the story goes, but he has something special about this robe that he travels with.
0: Any man that has a robe, it has to be special.
1: <laughs> but yeah, he, he only brings it on national championships, oh. to my knowledge. Okay. And, and I think he even gave it the title of a supervisory robe. It's quite special to him. And we thought, you know what? We should do something with that. And it crossed our minds. That maybe we should just take it and hide it and he goes ballistic on you know some people but we're like "Ah, that's you know it's kind of lame right so and by the way the the people in my crew at this time was mark wright and rick burns and so we're talking about some stuff and trying to get these ideas going and i I don't know how but next thing you know we're talking about adult shops and sex shops and stuff like that oh there now
0: this is a pg show here
1: So we're talking about these
0: adult shops all
1: of a sudden. I can't remember who thought of the idea, but we ended up deciding that, you know what, let's get some let's get a blow-up doll and put it into his robe. Oh, hold no, no. It's
0: 2020. It's a blow-up companion. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because yeah, they have we emotions do. now, right? We don't want to label it.
1: Yeah. So, anyways, this <laughs> blow-up companion is purchased by our driver, Sean Speck, who probably experienced the most awkward moment of his life he said trying to purchase this blow-up doll grown man and anyways so we get it back and we decide oh you know what let's take it a step further we go candles get fake flower you know the the flower pads or whatever you want to call it and I think we got some chocolate or something for his pillow we decorate his whole room to make it look like this romantic experience we knew that Chris was getting off the diamond at like 9 30 at night and he was going to be bagged from a full day of supervising. And so all the other umpires who knew made it low key, but everyone knew by the time we all decided to quietly follow Chris back to his hotel room and no word of a lie. He gets to his hotel room and all the umpires are around the corner, very quiet, see him open the door. And as it's shutting, you hear what the (laughs) and the door closes perfect timing (laughs) and he comes out he's holding this blow-up doll his robe and he's losing his mind and he's just flustered and red and oh it was it was absolutely hilarious
0: nothing more exciting than listening to a story of a bunch of guys following another guy back (laughs) to his room to find a (laughs) blow-up companion
1: yeah for anyone uh, i get i guess the story doesn't totally end there so afterwards We decided, you know what? And we gave it a name, by the way. Her name is Patty. Patty. So there you go. It makes it a little bit more companion-like, right? Personal. So her name's Patty, and we decided, you know what? Let's not stop there. Let's see if we can let Patty get around, so to speak. So we ended up uh, getting Marcus Erlinson, who was going to, I believe, the 13U Atlantic Championship um, that next week. And he was one of our drivers, too. So we actually had him put it in his umpire bag and he flew it out to the 13U Atlantic. And our ultimate goal was to get Patty to get to every single championship to hopefully prank, you know, a supervisor at all those championships. So last I heard was 13U Atlantic and there's some photos of her having a great time. But beyond that, I have no idea
0: where Patty is. Maybe she got taken home to keep. (laughs) Sounds like Patty's been put to pasture. (laughs) Rest in peace, Patty. I'd say now would be a great time for a moment of silence, but I think it's just best if we move on and change the topic. Now, Matt, you're also involved with the game away from the diamond, am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Uh, Well, in Saskatoon, we are considered zone six. There's, uh, I believe, a total of uh, eight zones, I believe, in Saskatchewan. And so I'm zone six director. I guess my responsibilities for that would be pretty much acting as a bit of a liaison uh, for Baseball Sask provincial executive, I do have other responsibilities to make sure that, you know, their goals, their aspirations, uh, and their policies and procedures are fulfilled. Um, Saskatoon, we have a membership of over 100 people, so it can be quite busy. But the people before me, you know, Paul Kobiella, Scott Mills, they, they've done a really good job in setting up a strong structure in Saskatoon where Um, it's not just one person runs the show, it's, it's myself and there's, you know, five other executives and we have members at large and it's, it's a great way to get more people involved to have more accountability for our entire membership in Saskatoon to put forward if they want change or if they want something positive to happen
0: for the betterment of umpiring or baseball, that's, it's a perfect way to get their foot in the door. So tell us how one becomes a member and what is the name of the local organization? Uh, We call it
1: Saskatoon District Baseball Umpire Association, which is why we say S-D-B-U-A. It's a a little bit easier. Uh, For myself, uh, the president's position or the director has to be elected by Saskatoon's members or officials. Um, And they also have to have a certain amount of experience in the executive. As for just executive members, um, it can be anyone who is an umpire over the age of 18, uh, which is great because... Every single year we see a little bit of change within our executive body, um, gets new ideas, different personalities. And uh, I'm excited at the end of the day of the the great guys. Unfortunately, it's only guys. I would love more females to to be a part of it. But right now it seems to be majority of, of males, but they are absolutely dedicated, awesome people to work with. And they share that passion for baseball.
0: Excellent. How does one become a umpire in the SDBUA? So
1: for Saskatoon, because we have that long or that uh, large membership, we choose to do our registration through online, um, just using some basic Google forms, Docs, things like that. It really does simplify the mass amount of uh, information that is always coming in, especially when it comes to deadlines of registration it's a very quick easy way to track that eventually gets sent into baseball sask for our association of over 100 people it is extremely manageable to do things online and i i would highly recommend that uh either other zones or other provinces try to do that because it's it seems to be the preferred method both from the executive side and from our members
0: now you say you do it online do you have a a link or is there a website that you guys have? Yeah,
1: so we, we have a very good relationship with Saskatoon Baseball Council. They try to publish as much information that we are willing to give out. So your registration, you know, everything from fees to uh, mentorship program to how to get a sign, all that is kind of given out through SBCI. We also use a program called Horizon Webref, which is awesome, makes things very simple. You know, even thinking 10, 15 years ago, we were phoning, you know, 50 members. A day to say hey do you want a game on sunday if you're calling scott most away, he'll say no and then you phone <laughs> him next week and he'll say no. no no just kidding he's starting to say yes more so i can't <laughs> say that we we switched that online platform
0: and it's it's perfect fantastic for anyone looking for access to that platform or just to get an idea of what it is you can find the link it will be in the show notes Now, Matt, since you're talking about it, you say you have a really good relationship with the Saskatoon Baseball Council. How have you guys worked on developing that relationship? I think uh, the big thing is just being proactive,
1: sharing each other's common goals and sitting down and saying, hey, what are you guys trying to accomplish? What do you guys got going on? John's done a, a fantastic job. He really has. He's helped with a lot of the development of baseball parks in Saskatoon and making sure that his uh association is saving money and and really trying to develop the the, the fields and overall leagues in the city. But in terms of relationship, I think it's just a matter of reaching out to one another or one another and just like I said, sharing each other's goals and seeing how you can help each other out. Like we have a mentorship program in Saskatoon. Just recently, I was talking to John about how we want to try and get equipment available at our 15u diamonds for for those umpires who are you know in their teen years they can't quite afford a massive investment but they're ready for 15u that seems to be a big kind of barrier within our city and john right away just said yeah just make sure you give us the rationale give us some options and we We'd happily consider it at least. And so we did. Our executive proposed some information. And right now they're they're actually paying half of the equipment costs for three sets of umpire stuff that's going to be at the 15 New Diamonds this year.
0: Fantastic. It's great to hear that you're receiving some funding from the baseball side. Without umpires, of course, there would be no baseball technically. How is the other half funded?
1: Uh, So the other half is funded through our association, our Zone 6. Um, We try our best to make sure that we are able to, we we call it like a, it's a 2%, uh, I don't want to call it a tax, but it's a 2% fee. And now this fee, it's for... A membership uh, dues? Yeah, it's pretty much the betterment betterment of your membership, and it comes off of every single check. This money goes towards paying for Horizon WebRef because that's an expensive program. It goes towards equipment. It goes towards uh, maybe trying to add things at your next clinic. One thing that we've been considering for a long time is trying to get a pitching machine so that we can do similar bullpen uh, opportunities for umpires to get a lot of reps, so you don't have Gary Dodds, who's seven feet, you know, age a million. No offense, Gary, I love you, um, <laughs> but you don't have him throwing a hundred pitches and then his arm falls off, right? We want to make sure that it's, all the money is going towards the betterment of our zone and our mentorship and our.
0: The dude probably doesn't have a great baseball arm, but I think he has a fantastic <laughs> volleyball spike. <laughs>
1: Oh, he's fantastic. All he'd have to do is stand up. <laughs> I would Yeah,
0: I would not want to be on the other side of the court with Gary Dodd spiking a volleyball at me. No, if anyone knows
1: Gary, he he breeds a volleyball family too, like his son Husky's assistant, or no Husky's head coach of the women's team, like daughters played international. The
0: guys, yeah, they're a volleyball family too.: Yeah when we joke volleyball, we actually are serious about it, so yeah, we just laugh to make ourselves feel better. Okay, Matt, we're moving on to another part of the show. Fan favorite called 10 Questions. It's easy. I ask you 10 questions, okay? If I like your answer, you're going to hear a... And if I disagree with what you're saying... Straightforward, okay? You ready? Ready. What is a weird food combination that you really enjoy? Sriracha on pretty much anything. Sriracha. I put that... On everything.
1: (laughs) Kind of like, yeah, Frank's red hot sauce, right? (laughs) You can never have too
0: much hot sauce. I'm a man of science. I want to know, do you think that man landed on the moon?
1: I do. That's one small step for man, one
0: giant leap for mankind. Thanks for taking us there, Neil. (coughs) Tell me, what was your most recent lie?
1: Uh, To my girlfriend when I said I had no time to get her Starbucks. (laughs) just kidding
0: (laughs) just kidding he's he's lying now what's your most recent lie (laughs) what did you google last should i check that right now i can Uh oh this might be scary we already know about blow up companions i'm scared to know what's on that google search history
1: oh mortgage calculator
0: canada trying to be a big boy (laughs) <laughs> trying to get that house. I was kind of hoping it was be, where do you buy a mini horse? <laughs> or how do you make homemade deodorant?
1: <laughs> how does the washing machine work?
0: <laughs> or one of the most popular Battleford one, how to dispose of a dead body. <laughs> okay, tell me now, what's your Wi-Fi password?
1: Uh, I don't know because it is a Sastel
0: basic, you know, provided one. Well, at least tell me the pin on your debit card, would you?
1: <laughs> Just kidding.
0: Yeah, right. What's your mother's maiden name? Yeah.
1: What? <laughs> the neg- next bank question.
0: <laughs> Where, wait, 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 wait. 10 questions. Where were you born? What was the name of your first pet? What street did you grow up on? I don't Who <laughs> <laughs> was your best friend? Yeah. <laughs> I got a good one here. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh, never. Never with meats, Never deserves to be there every time on the Uh, no can't do it yeah yeah why not the only place you can ever
1: mix pineapple with meat is if you have pineapple after meat not
0: together oh (laughs) ruthless (laughs) do you believe that aliens exist i do i seen it on a movie once dude named et he phoned home et phoned home I'm still waiting for him to come back. Those are good years. Mm -hmm. My favorite takeaway from that was that if you ever meet an alien, bring them Reese peanut butter cups.
1: (laughs) And hide them in your closet. And hide them in your
0: closet. (laughs) Just with all the other secrets you have. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what was your mother's maiden name again? I forget that one. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your favorite athlete?
1: Oh, man, that's tough. I have to admit, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary just last week and a whole new respect for that guy. Like, I don't know. I got to say MJ.
0: I'm a Pat Borders fan, if you ask me. (laughs) Have you ever stolen a vehicle? Why is this a question? (laughs) You can answer this one or you can tell me who your mother's maiden name was. I just need to know. (laughs) Then it's a no. (laughs) You ain't from Battleford until you stole a a vehicle.
1: That's Phil's hospitality. <laughs> He'll pick you up just like Enterprise. It's called
0: Uber. <laughs> yeah. Matt, how old are you? 29. True or false then? Do you still drink out of a sippy cup? Uh, at the only at the
1: 18U tournament. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh man, so I, I'm not gonna lie. We went to Earl's and they make a mean sangria. What so is a sangria? I, <laughs> It's pretty much wine, juice, fruit. Yeah. The more I, ingredients I say, the the more interesting it is. But <laughs> pineapple can't go on a pizza, but you can fix
0: wine and juice.
1: Hey man, they're separate. <laughs> You're right. You put you put yeah, yeah. You put the, the fruits away from the meat and it's all good. We went to Earl's, got sangria in a big pitcher. Got well, I got that. And next thing you know, I think it was Alan. He was saying, uh, you know, call me sippy cup and the waitress overheard. And next thing you know, she brings out a waitress or uh, a sippy cup, pours my wine into it and says, is there anything anything else you need, dear? I still got that sippy cup. The entire crew from that from that national signed it and sent it home with me.
0: (laughs) And now he's Googling looking up mortgage rates. Yeah. (laughs) With her. That's a fantastic thing, going to these championships again. It's always away from the field, the laughs, the jokes. It's all fun and games until Shul's drinking sangria by himself in the corner.
1: Oh, man.
0: Okay, let's move on now. Almost done. We like to call this section Local Legends. Matt, we want you to share with us someone who you think deserves some credit a local legend that people know locally and you just want to say thank you to for all the work they've put into you and umpiring in general. So for myself, hands down, it would be Aaron Braun. Aaron Braun, he's
1: a quite elderly man, has been around baseball his entire life. You can typically summarize his day-to-day in the summer of walking to the ballpark or carting to it or getting a ride from his daughter even just to get to the ballpark, see umpires at the 11U, Diamonds, and just helping out. And he is such a friendly individual. I honestly could not think of any better person to become a mentor than Aaron Braun. And it's actually led our association to create an award in his name uh, for most dedicated umpire because he truly is that kind of person. His dedication is beyond. You can't match it. He truly is something special.
0: Matt Schultz, local legend, Aaron Braun. Without guys like Aaron Braun, we wouldn't be where we are today. Thank you, Aaron Braun, for your commitment to baseball from an umpire's perspective. So Matt, we're just getting ready to wrap up this show. I want to thank you for coming on this episode. Had a lot of fun. We shared a few laughs. But before you go, do you have any parting words you want to leave us with?
1: Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Phil, for for having me on. I look at the guys that you've had on this, this podcast so far and It honestly makes me wonder why I'm even on it compared to some of the resumes that are before me. But
0: well, I'm going to tell you straight out there. I'm going to I'm going to hold you. You got a pretty impressive resume and we didn't really touch on it in this episode. Let's be fair. For everyone listening, Matt has been to four national championships and at three of them, he's been awarded the gold medal plate. Now, we've talked multiple times on this show that Sunday assignments aren't necessarily the end all be all, but they do represent an umpire who's worked hard through a championship, and has essentially earned that game. So don't discredit your resume, Matt.
1: No, I appreciate it. I think uh, at the end of the day, you just got to remember why you started. You know, you're, you're always going to have those bad games. You're going to have bad days. But remember why you started. Because at the end of the day, I look at why I did. It was for a little bit of coin. And really, uh, the coin doesn't matter that much now. But the main thing was, it was friendships. It was with a bunch of buddies to hang out and enjoy the game of baseball. So remember why you started. And I think always continue learning. And
0: don't play ball hockey. Don't tear your knee. (laughs) Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on former New Brunswick Baseball Umpire Association president, a Dick Willis Award winner, and a man who collects Royal Family Spoons, David Cass. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. A 3-0 pitch is not an automatic strike. Unless, of course, it goes through the strike zone. Take care, everybody, and stay safe.